0: open, they're away in the Golden slipper. there's a great start, and mid-bit Basquet on the extreme outside is about the first out, just the Juggler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Juggler trying desperately, can't reach him, Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit the Juggler. This Iron podcast is brought through. to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence, or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain. Colin Watts, and a sports psychologist, Oliver Brett. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The North West, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. You need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help. www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400 984 193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. In all my years in and around harness racing, I never met a better conditioner of a standard bread than retired trainer Norm Lang. Norm was one of the first Sydney trainers to teach his horses to stay rather than reel-off flash sectionals. Once he had the right kind of horse at the right kind of fitness level, he'd take no prisoners in a race and he got away with it hundreds of times. One of Norm's greatest talents was to keep horses up for long periods of time and to win multiple races with them. In 1983, he beat the Kiwis at their own game when he took Steel Jaw to Christchurch for the iconic New Zealand Cup, a race that had belonged exclusively to the Kiwis since its inception in 1904. Steel Jaw not only gave Australia its first win in the historic race, he won by a massive margin of 32 metres. Norm has lived on the New South Wales Southern Highlands all his life and at one stage was an Ampol agent at Mittagong. He slowly developed an interest in trotting horses as a result of his friendship with a local trainer called George Walton. His New Zealand Cup triumph was the crowning achievement of a brilliant career that saw Norm Lang reach the upper echelon in a very demanding business. He's now 85 years old and hasn't put the hobbles on a horse for about 12 years. He lives at Goulburn and devotes his spare time to the art of lawn bulls. Norm Lang, it is an absolute delight to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you uh, very much, George. Uh, <clears throat> that was uh, very nice of you and uh, I'm pleased to hear from you.
0: Norm, this is not the time to be modest. How do you rate yourself as a bowls player?
1: Uh, I would say the best I could do would uh, say that I'm competitive uh, and hopefully might be a fraction above average.
0: You played at Canberra uh, yesterday, 24 hours ago, with a triples team.
1: That's correct, and uh, we were unfortunately were beaten. It was uh, another Goulburn team that we drew in the in the draw, uh, and uh, they're a very good team, and they managed to beat us. But uh, we uh, put up a pretty fair effort anyway. We were quite happy with our play.
0: You know, Norm, there's a funny side to this. Here you are in retirement, playing a game of skill and precision and touch. So different to the style of race driving that became your trademark. You had one aim in those days with most of your horses and that was to wear them down. Not every horse, from time to time you'd have one that had to be driven quietly.
1: That's correct, that's correct. And uh, yes, uh, I had well, uh, several horses that uh, were possessive of a, a very good spread, mm. and uh, – But uh, the likes of uh, a couple of the horses, uh, Alpha Beat for one, uh, when I first took him over, he was uh, sort of a a bit weak and uh, possessed Mm. a good sprint.
0: Yeah, he was a great advertisement for your style of training. You got him after he'd had a lot of racing, Alpha Beat, and you won another 17 with him.
1: I won, uh, yeah, I won uh, another Hundred thousand in prize money. Yeah. Uh, when he uh, came to me, and won about forty thousand, which is good money in those days. Mm. Uh, but we went on to win a hundred and forty thousand with him. Mm. But uh, yes, he—I all I had to do was toughen him up a bit, and uh, he possessed this really good spread, which uh, stood him in good stead.
0: We'll talk about your favourite bread and butter horses later. But for now, Norm, let's pay tribute to your once-in-a-lifetime horse, Steel Jaw. Now, the story began in the early 1980s when your good friend Peter Stanmore told you about a maiden horse in Victoria which was on the market for $5,000. Now, obviously, you looked up his form and you were sceptical when you learned he'd had 11 runs for only two placings and worse than that... He'd been in a race for.
1: That's correct. Yes, I uh, I was having <laughs> severe thoughts about whether or not to go ahead, but uh, when I uh, looked at it, and Peter, uh, who was always very interested in the breeding side of things, mm. uh, well, he actually talked me into it, and I said, "Oh, well, it's five thousand dollars." So uh, yes, I uh, I went ahead and bought him. Mm.
0: And his pedigree, Normie, was by a horse called Gavaland, and he was by far uh, the best of the Gavalands. And he was out of an unrace mare called Deer, who was by the New Zealand bred Danny Hanover. Uh, I thought we'd just put that in early for the breeding buffs.
1: That's right, yeah. yeah. Yes, well, he uh, uh, was the first Australian bred horse as well to win the New Zealand Cup, you know. Mm.
0: He'd been trained, I believe, on the old Melbourne Showgrounds track and that meant a lot of people got to see him in track work most days of the week and some of the local trainers wondered how that bloke from Sydney could possibly be interested in him.
1: That's correct. Uh, Brian Gaff in particular uh, said to me how he'd trained horses alongside the horse uh, there at the showgrounds and uh, he said I, I, I never showed any interest in him at all, he said, you know, mm. uh, and he was amazed <laughs> to see the horse, weather, the way he turned out.
0: Well, you got a hell of a shock, Norm, when you got him home because you quickly detected signs that he was a cross-firer, including soreness around the sesamoid area in one front leg. Was it the near fore?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes, it was mm. a deer forehead.
0: I can imagine what you said under your breath.
1: Well, <laughs> well, the, the, the thing I liked about him, it had uh, it'd been raining pretty heavily and there was a semi-trailer float that brought him home mm. so he couldn't come up by driveway. I had to lead the horse up from the roadway, which is you know, about 100 metres up from the roadway. Mm. and I saw the walk horse walking up and I thought, See, I might have done the right thing here buying this horse,
2: mm.
1: and uh, well, as it turned out, it was unfortunate that he did have a problem. Mm. But uh, I had a very good farrier, and Tom Dillon.
2: Oh, wasn't he good? Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: very, very good. Mm. Made a special shoe up for him, which caused a quite a uh, lot of discussion when he went to New Zealand. When people saw the back shoes that he had on. Mm. And uh, but it was successful in uh, him not making, in at least uh, keeping him sound for a period of time. Anyway, you know. Mm, mm.
2: But he did and, stop
1: cross firing, didn't he? He did stop cross firing. Yes. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, there was damage there from his early career. Yeah. When he was continuously striking himself, you know.
0: Yes, yeah, of course. Tom was one of those old-time farriers. Who made the shoes to fit the horse norm? Nowadays, of course, they make horseshoes in fractional fittings. You can buy them off the
1: shelf. That's correct. That's correct. But Tommy was uh, a master at making his own shoe. And back in those days, uh, back in those days, horses did do more things wrong, mm. like cross cross firing. For it was more prevalent. You know. Yes. Uh, back in those days, as horses improved their gait with their breeding, mm. uh, they're a lot cleaner going horses nowadays than they were back in those days.
0: Mm. Just to explain to people listening to us, Norm, who aren't quite sure what the term crossfire means, it's it's found only in paces and it happens when a hind foot swings inwards too far and strikes the diagonally opposite front leg usually in the vicinity of the fifth lock joint, sometimes as low as the Coronet band. As you said, Norm, very common in the old days. Thankfully, today, it's rare.
1: That's correct, yeah. The, the gait and the breeding of the horses uh, has straightened a lot of that out. And, uh, nowadays, the uh, shoe you buy Mm. over-the-counter is all that's necessary, you know. You Mm. don't really need that specially made shoe.
0: Mm. Well, it must have been a confidence thing with the horse because once he was no longer worried about hitting himself, he took off for Norm Lang and he won his first 15 straight from your stable, most of them at Harold Park. Now, you wouldn't know whether to laugh or cry, Norm, when he finally got beaten. He ran third to the great Gamalite and another pretty good little horse called Will Adios, but you've got a theory about that defeat. He was a naughty boy overnight, wasn't he?
1: Well, I think my theory did have a little bit uh, uh, of strength in it when you consider... Yeah. that, uh, yes, he finished third that night. Uh, I drove him in exactly the same fashion as I had previously. Yeah. And uh, the start after that, we went to New- to uh, Queensland yeah. for the Australian Championship. Yeah. And uh, in that particular race, uh, he ran second to popular arm, yeah. who was the champion of the day at that time, and, yeah. uh, Sat outside Popular Arm. Yeah. Uh, after losing a shoe on the first turn, mm. uh, and uh, they broke another record up there. Mm. And uh, Vin Knight, uh, in uh, his speech after the race, mm. he just commented on the uh, the the run of the second horse, Mm. how outstanding it was, you know.
0: Yeah, and you lost uh, a hind shoe, Norm. I mean, Steel Jaw was the last horse in the world you wanted to lose a hind shoe.
1: That's correct. And he he almost led Popular Arm. That was the point, and that was when Mm. he lost the shoe, came a bit unbalanced, Mm. and Popular Arm held the lead. Mm. So uh, that. Was probably
0: the winning point of the race. Mm. Oh, that was one of his greatest runs. Now, yeah. Norman, just go back to my previous question. Uh, we didn't elaborate talking about his defeat after 15 straight wins. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned he'd been a naughty boy. I'm sure you told me once that the night before he actually got out of his yard and he had the run of the place and he got himself a belly full of green grass.
1: That's correct, that's correct. And that was my, uh, I firmly believe that was the reason mm. why he was found wanting at the completion of the race. It was the only race that I've ever driven him in that he was uh, lacking at the finish Yeah. Uh, in all other races. So he was real strong right to the line. Mm.
0: Now, Norm, just go back uh, to that Albion Park second placing to Popular Arm, one of his great runs. Now, after that, obviously, you started to think about New Zealand. Did you get an approach from the New Zealand Metropolitan Trotting Club to consider bringing him over?
1: I did. uh, It was through Tony McGrath. Mm. Uh, I, was, I had trained Tony McGrath's horses at the time mm. and Tony McGrath was heavily involved with the New Zealand Trotting uh, Metropolitan Trotting Club in New Zealand mm. where he bred his horses over there and uh, he was friends with Murray, I uh, can't think of Murray's other name he was the president of the Metropolitan Trotting Club in mm. New Zealand I
2: can't think of and, either, yeah
1: Uh, The invitation came through them and Tony encouraged me to accept it and go and uh, I I was a bit backward at first. Mm. uh, For me to travel to New Zealand was uh, something completely new for me Mm. Uh, and to uh, take the horse over for the club, uh, for the cup I should say. Mm. And uh, anyway, Brian Hancock was taking one over. Uh, and uh, Graham Lang was taking one over for the Trotters Cup. Mm. So uh, yes, so the decision was made. We decided the, to go.
0: Mm. Norm, you mentioned the late Graham Lang, uh, and people have asked the question often. So let's clear it up at this stage of our chat. You're not related to the Victorian Langs,
1: are you? I don't think so. Uh, if if we were, mm. it would be right long, long way back, but I certainly, I'd have to say no, I don't think we are.
0: Mm. You'd know by now.
1: Well, yeah, I think so. It it, it certainly uh, would have to go back a long way in generations and I don't think that's the case.
0: Mm. Now, the Steel Jaw (laughs) story is a bestseller and it took another bizarre turn when you decided to give him one more run at Harold Park, you felt he just needed a, a get-fit run before heading over the Tasman. Now, Norm, this could have been a calamity. In the early stages of the race, old double agent crossed too sharply and he brought down a West Aussie horse called Smooth Dave. Now, you came charging through from the second row, you contacted Smooth Dave Sulky... And you were tipped out, so I, I can't imagine again what you're saying under your breath. Is your New Zealand Cup horse careering around Harold Park without a driver?
1: That's correct. And uh, I was—I went up in the air pretty high, oh. <laughs> and uh, landed fairly hard too. But mm-hmm. fortunately, uh, the, the cart righted itself and the horse continued around mm. and the clerk of the course picked him up and uh, there was no harm done.
0: Mm. He wasn't out of control either, was he? He was, he was fairly uh, composed about it all.
1: Oh, yes, yes. He, uh, he settled down after it okay.
0: Mm. Well, he worked brilliantly in New Zealand in the 10 days leading up to the Cup and I believe you gave him plenty of practice from the Standing Start strand. How did he step away in the cup?
1: Well, uh, put it this way: really, the only uh, preparation he had for the standing start mm. was I arranged a trial on the Sunday mm. prior to the cup, a standing start trial
2: mm.
1: where I uh, where he jumped okay without being brilliant. Mm. And he trial very good, actually. I forget what time, but it was in pretty quick time. Mm. And the New Zealand people uh, didn't think that he'd produce that sort of thing again on Tuesday, you know. Mm. Uh, the comment was made, you know. Uh, mm. Anyway, I said, no, he'll be right. Uh, mm. And uh, anyway, he jumped away on, uh, on the Tuesday in the Cup, not – Perfectly, but uh, he was able to take up the lead after about the first uh, furlong and a half, I suppose, mm. uh, and he was right from then on.
0: Mm. Now, a horse called Hands Down had a quick little dip for the lead and did your bloke get a bit keen for a few strides, Norm? I, I seem to recall he's just firing up a little bit.
1: Uh, I'd say was more keenness than firing up. Mm. Uh, the horse, uh, was, comments were made about how I was leaning back in the cart all the way. Mm. Uh, people thought he was pulling, Yeah. but he wasn't. I, I always found that the best way to get a horse to stay was to uh, keep back in the cart and uh, mm. keep a bit of pressure on his mouth, you know.
2: Mm.
1: And uh, that was the way I drove him. And when the hands down came up on the outside of him, mm. he said he wanted the lead, and I said, No way. Mm. And yes, it probably appeared as though he grabbed hold of the bit, you know, a bit mm. too hard. But no, he travelled very comfortably all the way.
0: Mm. As we said earlier, he won by 32 metres. He beat a horse called Camelot, and Bonnie's chance ran third. Now, Coming around the turn, uh, he was obviously going strongly, but Norm, you'd have had one ear cocked. Surely you were waiting for the challenges.
1: I I waited till they made their move and that was virtually coming around the home turn. Mm. And as I turned into the straight, uh, I just let him go Mm. and uh, he just increased the margin. Uh, And the driver of Camelot. After we crossed the line, he was. He said, "Look, he said I was congratulating myself for coming around the home turn." Mm. Uh, he said, "I thought I was going to the lead," and instead of that, he looked up and still, jaw was way out mm. front,
0: often gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, gee, was so a, he got quite a shock. The euphoria of such an achievement has never left you. And neither have the memories of the unthinkable post-race drama. Now, two of your clients had purchased Steel Jaw from Victoria, namely Ozzie Marr and Stan Everett, and poor old Ozzie collapsed at Addington shortly after the presentation. I think they had to take him to hospital.
1: That's correct. That's correct. He, uh, during the presentation, I saw him slip. Tablet under his tongue, mm. and I thought, Oh, this doesn't look good because mm. it was the greatest win that Aussie had ever had. Uh, I'd won races with his other horses for him, but nothing like the New Zealand Cup. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, yes, he was uh, unfortunately had a heart attack and took him away to the hospital shortly after the presentation.
0: Mm. Did he recover in the short term, Norm?
1: Uh, he was in New Zealand for a period of probably. Two to three weeks, mm. uh, came back home, but unfortunately, it recurred again, oh,
2: yeah.
1: uh, in, in the early part of the following year.
0: Mm. Till he had the wonderful thrill of seeing his horse win a race, yeah, of he, such he, great uh, fame
1: that's correct, yeah. And mm. uh, he was where well, seeing, I thought he was such a good owner, uh, with his other horses, and I had some good wins for him, mm. but uh. I actually bought Steel Jaw myself mm. and sold him to Ozzy and, and Stan Everett, you know, mm. yeah. and uh, they were both, uh, you know, very pleased with that sort of thing, you know.
2: Mm.
0: It's very common for the New Zealand Cup winner to back up on the Friday in the famous New Zealand Free For All, uh, being show week, of course, in New Zealand in Christchurch and Steel Jaw did exactly that. Now, as it turned out, Norm, in the free-for-all, you had a torrid run and he missed a place, but he did so well after that that you decided to back him up again eight days later in a Group 2 race and he won easily.
1: That's correct. Well, what happened to him uh, in the cup race, he was drawn out wide on the track. Uh, as you know, there's about, I think it was 12 or Ran about 12 horses off the front over there, mm. and he was really wide. Anyway, uh, some of the New Zealand drivers, uh, I think, got it in their head that, uh, that they'd take a bit of sting out of him.
2: Mm.
1: So uh, I did venture for the lead, and uh, they went 25 8 or something in the first quarter. Mm. And uh, in those days that was pretty brilliant, you know. Mm. Uh, so uh, initially he had a very hard run to get to the lead and uh, they did, I think he finished fourth, didn't he, from yeah, yeah. memory? Fourth, yeah. I think.
0: You're talking about the New Zealand free-for-all three days after the Cup. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's
1: the one, yeah. right. And uh, that's right. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong impression. No, yeah, that's... it was the free for all. But then, in the, the following race, the Group Two one that you mentioned, mm. uh, he was drawn off the second row, mm. and uh, the horse in front of him. And I got an idea it might have been Bonnie's challenge. Mm. But anyway, galloped at the start, mm. so that put me back actually three back. Uh, Instead of going off the second line, I was three back with Mm. body chance galloping in front. Mm. Anyway, uh, uh, as it happened in the middle stages, I uh, improved around the field and he won it comfortably, you know.
0: Mm. Well, you got him home from New Zealand, you freshened him up and off to Perth you go for the WA Pacing Cup. Now, he won a qualifying heat but he was out of a place in the final. And after that, Norm, you were horrified to find that his old injury had flared again.
1: Recurred, yeah, that's that's mm. for sure. A um, Couple of things uh, that could have led to that was as you know, it gets very hot over in Perth. Mm. And uh, you're stabled on sand in a lot of places. And uh, therefore, uh, it increased. I think if you got a bit of heat in a in a lower joint, the stabling over there in the heat in the sand, in my opinion, didn't help it. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, it it came out in the final, and that's that's uh, where it got sore. And unfortunately, then we had problem. Mm. Uh, well, actually, problems with the laser treatment I think might have been mm. one of the reasons why he didn't get back to the races.
0: Mm. You tried desperately, didn't you, but to no I avail. Did. You had to retire him.
1: Uh, I had to retire him in the long run.
0: Mm. Hope he found a good home, Norm.
1: Yes, well, he did have a good home. Uh, well. Uh, wasn't as good as I would have liked. I would have loved to have kept him for my at my own place, but unfortunately, it wasn't wasn't available. You
0: know. we'll mm. Just pause on the podcast for a moment to clear a commitment, and we'll be back with you after this. <laughs> It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at HarnessMediaCentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. We mentioned a trainer called George Walton who was probably responsible for getting you into a trotting sulky in the first place.
1: That's correct.
0: He was a local trainer, was he, on the southern Highlands.
1: Yeah. Yes, he lived just around the corner from uh, where I had the fuel agency. Hmm.
0: Did you get to a few Jim Carners to get your ticket? I think... No. Uh,
1: uh, no? Yes. You had to have so many drives there at Carners uh, and that to get a licence, mm. uh, which I did get. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, he was the trainer of the first winner I had, you know.
0: Sparkling Princess.
1: That's correct.
0: Yeah. Which track? Uh, Conoundra. in the Lachlan (laughs) Valley. The the sport Uh, no longer uh, survives in Canoundra. I think the old track is still there.
1: Well, George decided the race was suitable at Canoundra and we'd go up for the weekend Mm. uh, and uh, he'd get me to drive the horse. Mm. And uh, it was quite an eventful turnout. Uh, Going around in the marshalling yard before we went out, Uh, one of the other horses got away mm. and uh, actually upended me out of the cart, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> fortunately I didn't lose the control of the horse. Mm. Anyway, uh, we went on out and we won the race. But George was that excited over winning Yeah. He decided that we wouldn't stay the weekend, we'd go back home Saturday night. Mm. <laughs> so he wanted to get back home and tell everybody how we'd won.
0: Ah, what a thrill! So, for you. Yep.
1: <laughs> so that was my first winner. Mm. Uh, actually, that same horse gave me my first win at Harold Park in 1965.
0: Mm. Well, you were sufficiently hooked on the sport after the Conoundra win and the Harold Park win, to go out and buy yourself a broodmare. She was called Eve's Gift and you bred two foals from that mare, Gift King and Gift Queen, and they both won races for you and Norm Lang was on his way.
1: That's correct. I, I dabbled around with those horses uh until I'd say, I'd call it, I was strictly a hobby trader and it was very busy in the business, until about 1969 when I became more professional then uh, and uh, was when I took over Diamond T, 1969, yeah. early 1970.
0: I was about to mention Diamond T. I can still see you there at Harold Park. Uh, He was originally trained by the legendary Perce Hall, wasn't he? How did you get him?
1: I got him because uh, one of my schoolmates, actually, owned the horse and uh, they'd bought it as a yearling. Mm -hmm. Percy had picked it out as a yearling and bought it for him. Mm -hmm. But he was having having trouble getting it going. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, he started the horse and it broke, galloped in running and... uh, He suggested that he uh, that Don Lackman was the fellow's name, Mm. uh, give it to a trainer who could give it more time, Mm. and so Don uh, approached me about taking the horse, which I did, and uh, yeah, he uh, went on to win thirty thirty three races, I think he won.
0: He certainly did, and and he was probably the first illustration. Of your ability to keep a horse up for long periods.
1: Yes, uh, well, he he, uh, he did. He did a lot of racing, and uh, as I said, got a lot of wins. Right. And he was uh, a brilliant, brilliant speed horse, and uh, and he could stay.
0: Well, here's another one uh, to win many, many races. Elegant Jamie, you won twenty five races with him.
1: I think you'll find it was about thirty six. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I've mucked but, up uh, my research.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, yes, he he won a lot of races and he won uh, a couple of cup races in New, uh, Melbourne. You know yeah, the yeah. BP Marathon and the Member Cup, and mm. uh, he was runner-up in a lot of cup races and. Uh, uh, yeah, very, very good horse.
0: Mm. And so was Dynamite King. He won 25 or 26 in the famous Lang Colours brown and yellow halves, green yes. sleeves, and green cap.
1: Yes, he was again a very, very good horse, and uh, he won a big three year old, well, I think they called it the Golden Horseshoe or something at Monaco. Mm. And uh, yeah, he he was uh, a beautiful, lovely horse.
0: Mm. Bondi Bill didn't win as many races as some of the others, but you did win a Derby with him, a New South Wales Pacers Derby, and that was a great thrill in itself.
1: Yeah, that was in 1981, and uh, yeah, he led all the way, and it was really really a, a top run. Uh, to if you watch the race, uh, the the way they took the horse on and, uh, and they battled on and still won, you know, it was mm. a very good effort.
0: You trained some nice mares over the years, including Magic Symbol, Alice Peterson, and the very consistent Trudy, who won 21 races and she was placed, in case you've forgotten, 41 times. She didn't know how to run a bad race, did she?
1: No, she did not. And uh, but she took a lot of getting going, John. Mm. Uh, in the early stages, like when I was trying to get her going, she'd she'd hang. Uh, she, uh, I'd tried all sorts of gear. I had lugging poles and Murphy blinds and all sorts of things on her, and she took one hell of a lot of getting going, you know. Mm. Uh, But eventually when I got her straightened out, she went on and just continued to improve.
0: Mm. She was by the sire that was so good they named him twice. His name was Albert Albert.
1: That's correct, yeah, that's correct,
0: yeah. Now Trudy was owned by one of the great gentlemen of the sport, Norm, the late, great Keith Conroy. A wonderful man who was a long-time committeeman of the New South Wales Harness Racing Club and he put a hell of a lot into the sport.
1: He certainly did. And a greater gentleman you wouldn't find.
0: No, couldn't agree more.
1: That's right. But, uh, yes, uh, we got a lot of winners for uh, for Keith, you know. We did Mm. really well.
0: You made a big decision at the end of the 1991-92 season when you elected to quit race driving following major back surgery, was that the recommendation of your doctors at the time?
1: Yes, the specialist, I had two back operations. Mm. The first one wasn't successful. Nine months later, I had another one, which was mm. reasonably successful. Yeah. And uh, uh, But they said, oh, look, if you happen to get in... Uh, race accidents or something, Uh, Mm. just likely to finish up in a wheelchair and suggested that I should give the driving away. Mm. That's how that came about. Uh, But I continued to train and drive all my horses. I did all my training on my own. Mm. I did all the driving. I had one person helping me with the uh, harnessing up and things like that.
2: Yeah, but
0: on race (laughs) night... You used yeah. very good freelance drivers. I'd say Greg Bennett and Glenn McElhinney were the two who shared the bulk of your driving over those 17-odd years.
1: They did, but uh, again, Darren Hancock drove a lot of winners for me as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And I only just looked uh, this morning. Uh, Terry Robinson drove uh, the winner of uh, the Knight uh, Memorial for mm. me, the storyteller, mm. uh, and uh, Darren Betskin had driven uh, horses for me. Mm. Um, it's surprising how many that I did have drive for me, you know, but mm, uh, mm. Greg Bennett, I suppose, would have driven the most. Yeah. Da- Darren Hancock second and Glenn McElhenney. Mm. Uh, Terry Robertson on occasions. Uh,
0: and, and David and, Wilkins too on occasions.
1: And and David Wilkins drove with us for me. Mm. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, David Baxter uh, – not David. Uh, uh, Damien. Damien Baxter.
0: Yeah, David. He, yeah.
1: he drove Alpha Beat yeah. and uh, we won the Red Shore Cup with Alpha Beat. And uh, also uh, – I, I'm not sure. I, I drove Niobium for Tony McGrath mm. to win the RC Simpson Sprint. Mm. That was one of Tony's horses.
0: Mm. You did? I did, yeah. Uh, was that was probably towards the end of your driving career?
1: Could be. I'm not real sure of that, mate. But, mm. uh,
0: I mentioned in the introduction that you'd been an Ampol agent before you became a trainer and... I think you've continued to dabble in fuel transportation over the years after that.
1: Yes, I had uh, two tankers that used to travel uh, from Sydney to uh, West Wyalong, Dubbo, uh, Mm. and places up the west there. Uh, And uh, then I went back to one one tanker uh, with two drivers that was working sort of all the time, and... uh, yeah, that went right through until uh, Brambles. Mm. Ampol decided to call tenders and uh, Brambles tended to be out of business. Uh, that was back in, oh, not till about, uh, well, into 2006 mm. or something like that, I think, you know. Yeah. One of
0: my most uh, indelible memories from my Channel 9 days was a news story we did on Steel Jaw at the height of his fame. I wonder if you remember this day. I can recall flying to your property at Mittagong on the news helicopter and you were kind enough to harness him up and let him bowl around the track for the cameras. Do you remember that?
1: I remember that, yes. I remember that. We put him in the swimming hole when we'd uh, finished and... uh... Yeah. Peter Regent and Iris Proctor were on each side of the horse and they swung the horse for you as well.
0: Yes. Yeah. That was, I think he'd won about 12 straight at that stage. He was fairly flying.
1: I took him to Melbourne about that stage. I think that was just after that. And Mm. uh, before the stewards had let him start, they didn't believe it could be the same horse. So before they'd let him start, they had to inspect him to make sure that it was still jaw that they remembered.
2: Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hate to tell you this, but the day we flew on the helicopter to your property was 37 years ago. Scary, isn't it?
1: It certainly is. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly is. And I think here I am... uh, you know, still trying to play bowls and so forth And, uh, mm. uh, yeah, the, the years are mounting up
0: mm. Norm, uh, the Bathurst Bulldog, Hondo Grattan And the Tamora Tornado, Paleface Adios Were not yeah. the only champion horses to get a catchy nickname Your bloke was called the Mittagong Mauler
1: That's correct, that's correct <laughs>
0: Who put that on him? <laughs>
1: I don't know who started it off, honestly, and it only surfaced again here a few weeks ago on Facebook, uh, on Facebook. Uh, and of course that caused quite a stir at the bowling club, you know, when they saw the mitgol Mall on because they reckon that suited me down to the ground. <laughs>
0: well, that's the way you drove, Norm, you didn't, as I said in the intro, you took no prisoners when you were on a trolling track.
1: No, that's right. yeah.
0: Now, let me Uh, test your memory one last time. One night on the old Menangle track, so we're probably looking at 1984 or 5, you and I had a ding-dong duel the length of the straight at Menangle, which in those days wasn't all that far. uh, You were driving a horse called, if memory serves me rightly, Dazzling Diamond.
1: I remember dazzling
0: diamond. of blimey. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a little mare at the time called From the Blue and uh, we were nose and nose in the straight and I was suddenly conscious of an almighty whack across the top of my skullcap. <laughs> it made a hell of a noise. Now, Norm, in those days we were using those horrible old cane whips Yeah, that's right. You collected my helmet about 50 metres from home. You were desperate. You were a man-inspired.
1: Well, it it must have worked, didn't
0: it? You beat me. Yeah, you won the race. (laughs) So I'm right. It was Dazzling Diamond.
1: Yeah. Look, I I just, you know, when when I, uh, just looking up uh, a few of the winners that I had, you know, and I've got so many of them here that won ten or a dozen races, you know. Mm. Uh, It's uh, it's amazing when you think back, and I probably only can remember probably half of them.
0: (laughs) That's right. Well, I've (laughs) just reminded you of that one. That must have been a good result for you that night.
1: Well, it probably was if I went to that extreme.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Norm Lang, it's been an absolute delight catching up and reminiscing Many veteran punters will remember the favours you did them back in that great era, and many veteran horsemen will acknowledge the fact that you were among the very best in a golden era of harness horse trainers. Big job well done, No.
1: Thank you very much, God. I appreciate that very much.
0: Lovely to talk, thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova South.